12. Let's begin in verse 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Okay, a man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked are, lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. Better is the one who is slighted but has, but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. He who tills his hand will, tills his hand will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of, un, of understanding. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. In the way of righteousness is life, but in its pathway there is no death. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work through it in our lives as only you can. We need you, Lord. We ask that you would instruct us and comfort us and exhort us, lead us, redirect us, convict us. All those things that that you do so well. We're not trusting in anything but you. We're trusting in your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Lord, we know that every man, that your word be true and every man a liar. We know that this world is full of lies and the enemy is full of lies. So help us, Father, to continue in your word proving we're your disciples. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
I'd like you to picture yourself panning for gold. Who's Wave at me if you've panned for gold before. Well, that's pretty good. I've attempted to pan for gold. It didn't work very well. But when you pan for gold, you expect to find gold. And imagine that you're panning for gold and you see all these different types of flakes that, don't, that are shiny and everything, but they're different colors. And you have some gold in there that you're familiar with, but there's also some other colors and this, it's shiny and everything. And someone comes to you and says, that's gold too. Now, it's not fool's gold. It's real gold. They're telling you it's real gold, something that, that maybe man is never, doesn't know about or something. This is my story. I can make it however I want. Okay, so you're looking at it and you're going, wow, this is amazing. But you keep focusing on the gold that you're familiar with. And you're obsessed on it, you know, really. You're just like so focused on it. Now I want you to imagine that you're getting trained to be a home contractor. I'm not really handy with my hands. It would be handy if my hands were handy, but they're not. So I'm not handy. But when you're handy with your hands, you can do stuff. So obviously, if that is something that you're called to do, you can do, there's a time of training. So let's say you're a, con- a new contractor. It probably doesn't work this way at all, but I'm just, it's my story, okay? So you're, you're, you're there, and you're learning, and he brings this whole big tool chest full of tools, and you recognize maybe three out of the, you know, 12 tools that are in there. And you look at it and you say, wow, we're going to be using those three tools a lot. I'm familiar and all that. I don't know what that other stuff is, so I'm just going to kind of ignore it and not listen to him as he tries to teach me what these tools are for. I'm not focusing on it because I'm probably not going to need those tools right now. That's kind of how we can look at Proverbs. Because we can look at Proverbs or any other verse in the Scriptures. We can look at Proverbs and we can say, that's handy for me right now. And we're looking for the gold that we're familiar with. We're looking for the gold that's valuable. But all there's just so many other flakes of gold in the scripture in Proverbs that we may not need at the moment, but we're going to need. And so he wants us to be trained, just like with those tools. He wants us to know those tools now because we may not need them now, but we're going to need them. And then we'll go, oh, I don't know a lot about that tool that I was taught on. I can't remember it, but I know it has to do with this, 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 and this. And so now I know the right questions to ask. Does that make sense? That's how this, this whole book of Proverbs is. It's full. And I know that some of us look at it, we can't relate to it. But every single word that's in the scriptures, Jesus said the word of God will not be broken. It's, it's inspired. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so for us, we have to recognize and be humble and open and say, look, I want all of God's word. I want every little bit of it. I want every word. I want to soak it in and not just look for the things that are easy, that apply to me right this second, which is good. And God's fine with that because when you find gold, the kind that we know about, it's great. Or when you focus on a tool that you need, that you're familiar with, that's great. God loves, loves that. So it's fine. He delights in that. But he also wants us to be open to the rest of what the scriptures say. Because those things, we may not need at the moment, but he wants to tuck those things away in our heart and we'll say, I remember somewhere, I don't even know what chapter it is. You know, all I remember is those crazy stories and illustrations and things that weren't funny that my pastor thought was funny. Uh, But I think I remember those things being in Proverbs somewhere. So you start digging through Proverbs. I mean, at the longest it would take you would be 31 days, (laughs) you know, to find it. 
be looked at one a day. So for us, we look at these things, we have to be open to all of the book and all of the verses. There are constructive proverbs that have the word and, okay, so it's like adding to an idea. So something, something is true, and this is also true about it. Then there's also comparative ones. So it's saying such and such is this so as this is this is this. It's comparing. But then there's, and most of our chapter this morning is going to be contrastive, not comparative. We're going to see the word but a lot, but this, but that, but that. So it's a contrasting thing. So let's start in verse 1. He says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates corruption is stupid. I mean, how do you get past that? I mean, really. And you look at that and say, I mean, you can't call people stupid and say you have a biblical basis for it. Because God's the one that's saying this. He doesn't say, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, and anyone that, sh- that you say hates correction, you can call them stupid. That's how, it's how we can twist things around. But it's more of not, in, it, we can think stupid as unintelligent or whatever, but we know Brilliant people, those of us that know brilliant people, I'm not one of them. We know brilliant people that make stupid decisions. If you make stupid decisions related to that moment, were you stupid? In that sense, yes. So you can be brilliant, you can be not intelligent, or you can be super intelligent and do stupid things and foolish things. And we've seen, as we've gone through Proverbs, we've seen all these themes related to the foolish and the unwise and the ungodly. It's just continuing the same theme. It's nothing new, but, I mean, don't make that your life verse. (laughs) I recommend that. Don't make that your life verse. So, verse 2, he says, A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. So, we have to love knowledge. We have to understand it. We need to welcome it. We can't resist correction. We have to be open to correction. The more we're open to correction, the more wise we are, the more the more we're we have more for the Holy Spirit to use in our lives to able to make us more, you know, in in um, terms of what he wants to do with sanctification and make us more and more holy. So we have to be open. But in verse two, this whole good man obtains favor from the Lord. But a man of wickedness intentions, wicked intentions, he will condemn. Favor is a great thing. We have favor from the Lord. We had favor from the Lord before we came to know Christ in the sense that he was working in our lives and arranging circumstances in our lives and all those things to get us to the point where we could hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we could place our faith in that gospel because it's the power of God to, unto salvation to those who believe. And so we, he was, he had, we had favor in that sense. Not that we were, we were living disobedient. We didn't have that kind of favor that he's talking about here. But once we received Christ and we became good because our positional standing had changed. See, practically speaking, we're sinners. And we're growing as Christians. And our sinful nature is still there. It doesn't go. You can't reform it. It's just there. You have to starve it. But positionally, before God, when we receive Christ, he has this big accounting book, so to speak, in heaven. And we have all these debts, all of our sin, and then we think that we have some credits over here that are are good works. 
But in actuality, those things are over here, and this column is filthy rags, according to Scripture. So all of our good works meant nothing. That that column was, was nothing there. And then when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for us. So when we receive Christ, now that credit, in that credit column, in that accounting uh, book in heaven, so to speak, it's, it says the righteousness of Christ, the blood of Christ. That's how Jesus can have a relationship with us. That's how we have a relationship with the Father. And so it's a beautiful thing that we have that. We have the capacity now to be good. Because someone came to Jesus and said, good teacher. And he said, why do you call me good? Nobody is good but God. And he wasn't saying he wasn't God, as the cultists say. He was saying, be careful what you're saying. If you're prepared to call me good, you better be prepared to call me God. Because there's only one that's God. And that's the the triune God. So for us, we are to recognize he's made us good. He's put us into the body of Christ. He's cleansed us from our sins. He's forgiven us. He's given us a new calling. He's brought us from death to life. We're not in darkness anymore. Our names are written in the book of life. We have a whole new identity. Our identity isn't the things that we struggle with. Our identity is our identity in Christ. Positionally, we're holy. That's what a saint means. You know, when he says to the saints in Corinth, he said that means holy one. That word means holy one. We're holy, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ did on our behalf. And that righteousness has been put to our account. And the thing that I didn't mention in that accounting thing is that that whole debit column of all that sin, the, the reams of paper that is like miles long for in the Verfurth file, um, gone. Only the righteousness of Christ is there. He sees us. Now, he knows we sin practically. First John 1 John 1.9, the famous Christian bar of soap, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That's great news. I love that. I love, there we go. Wave at me. Tell me that you're alive. Show me you're not on the app right now. Just kidding. Um, so, this is the point, is that we, have, we are good. We are good because of Jesus. And because of that, we've obtained favor from the Lord, and we are highly favored. And it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what, how we doubt that. This book is true. Whether we ever feel it or agree with it or whatever, it's true. What this says, he is continuously trying to get us to believe what he says about us in this book and believe it and live like it. That's what he's constantly doing with me. I can't be the only one in this church that has that going on. He does that, and it's beautiful. So I love that. I love how he says that the wicked's intentions he will condemn. They're not, you know, that the psalmist was stumbled. He said, you know, I was just upset about all the wicked prospering and all of that and everything until I went to the house of the Lord, till I saw the eternal perspective, till I saw how God sees things. And you realize, especially now with technology, and you know, I just introduced the app and I'm talking about technology, but you know, technology and entertainment and all these things that we're just constantly having this inflow of what's going on in this world, we can't have the illusion or believe the illusion that it doesn't affect us. It does. We have to have the Holy Spirit, you know, in us and, and yielded to him for, for, for us to understand how we need to yield to him and, and let those things go away, and, and whatever he says, it's unique for each one of us. We can't make rules related to that, because it's different for each one of us. He, we have the law of the Spirit working in us, as Paul wrote in the book of Romans. 
He, doesn't have, he tried in, in, on some level to be sanctified or set apart and were made holy by the law of Moses after becoming a Christian. And he talks about that in Romans, like that was futile. Can't do that. I have a new law now, the law of the Spirit, way better than the law of Moses. There's way more things the Holy Spirit can say to us as believers than the 613 things the law of Moses says. And he says, that's not for you. And it gets very specific. That's why people want, how come it doesn't say this? How come it doesn't say that? It's not more specific, that we want more, you know, specificity or whatever about the scriptures, about these certain issues. It's like, you have the law of the Spirit going on. You have the, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. It says, no, not for you. But so-and-so is a Christian, and they do it. No, not for you. Get your focus off them. Listen to me. Listen to my word. The word's the standard. It's beautiful. I love it. All right, let's move on to verse 3. I'll give you hope that we're moving on here. Um, Verse 3, a man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? A man is not established by wickedness. Isn't that what people claim? All the things that we know from Scripture are wicked, and they say they're established, they're set, there's, they're, but really their lives, I mean, you look at uh, how people's lives fall apart, and that's only a small portion of what we see publicly. When we see a powerful person or a famous person or whatever, or even a person that's not famous, but you know, all these things are ungodly, they don't know the Lord or whatever, and we hear about something going on in some thing or whatever and struggle or vice or whatever we don't see all the things that are hidden all the despair and all the what you know and that's why we have to get out there with the gospel because we think that oh people are going to be rejecting my message they're not going to listen to the gospel go talk to the people that are in the xee class how closed people are you won't hear that from them the people are surprisingly open they want to hear they have questions they listen because they're not hearing it anywhere else Unfortunately, I mean, I mean, from our group, I mean, they're hearing from, I'm saying from the media and the, and the culture and, you know, all those things. But it says the root of the righteous cannot be moved. I want to read some verses in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Those are strong roots right there. You know the psalmist, he was like, wow, I'm going to look at that tree. You know that he saw that tree and just the Lord moved on his heart. That's how it is. Those who delight in my law, my word, and all of that, they're that strong. A similar idea was communicated by the Lord Jesus. Because he said that there was a man who built his house on sand and a man that built his house on rock in terms of a foundation. And the one that built his house on sand was equated with somebody that hears his word but doesn't obey it. And he said when, not if, but when the storms come, that house will not stand. It will fall. But then the man that has the foundation of obedience to the Lord, hears his word and obeys his word, is like a man who builds his house upon the rock. And when the storms come, that house will stand. That's not a suggestion. There's no exceptions to that. The house will stand. And that's what he's saying here. But the root of the righteous cannot be moved. 
We need to know that. We need to know that this foundation that he's built underneath us, his word, he's going to honor. And that will, that will strengthen us in times of trial and difficulty, in times of struggle. There's many storms. Jesus didn't lie to us. He didn't mislead us. He said, in this life, you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So for us to know that, that's in our lives. We know that on some level, but it, it, sometimes it throws us. Like, wow, I'm surprised God would allow this in my life. Sometimes we can be very okay with other people going through trials and believe you know, that it's great and everything, but when it happens to us, well, I'm not sure about that. You know, I'm not sure how, and it's not an unnatural reaction. I'm just saying that there's an answer to it in his word. It's clear. Verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. It's my life first. Just kidding. Um, no. You could put in excellent husband. It's the same type of principle, right? But, you know, the direct teaching here is we have to have an excellent godly life, ladies. And... You know, the beautiful thing that really encouraged me at one point is when someone told me that the standard for ministry in our lives is not perfection. God knows, I just quoted 1 John 1, 9. He knows we're not going to be perfect. And the problem is that when we make mistakes, we, we kind of go away from God, and he's saying, go closer to God. Fall toward the Lord instead of falling away from the Lord. It's like being sick and being diagnosed you don't want to go into the hospital because you're sick and you're ashamed. And they're going, you're supposed to be here. <laughs> you know, that's, why, that's the purpose of why the doctors and the nurses are here. That's the, you know, I'm not talking just about fellowship on Sunday or a Bible study or whatever. I'm talking about being in contact with other people, asking for prayer and, and, and all of that. And, and if it's no condemnation if that's, you've done that or whatever. The point is we need to fall towards, we need to fall towards him. We need to recognize that he's called us to excellence, not perfection. And that helps us. Because positionally, we are perfect. Practically speaking, we're not. So the standard for ministry, the standard of, is, is excellence. That's consistency. That's letting him live his life through us. That's abiding in Christ and letting him bear fruit through us, as Jesus told us in John chapter 15. And he added in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So he knows apart from him, we can do nothing. So let's just... Depend upon him. And then there's many, many godly women in this church and all of that. But, of course, we're growing. But, if you know, it's a strong, it's a strong exhortation to be in unity, to be walking in Ephesians 5, the biblical roles of marriage, and all those things because that's what brings glory to the Lord. Remember, people are coming to conclusions about our, our God, basically, and our, the church's relationship to him by our marriages because our marriages point to that and model that kind of thing and you can see that in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5 the thoughts of the righteous are right but the counsels of the wicked are deceit hmm the counsels of the wicked are deceitful that makes a lot of sense to me they plan there you think it's one thing but it's another you have no idea what's going on in the hearts of people that are in public life we think we know them. We don't know them. Just like they don't know us or anybody truly knows us except the Lord in that way. Um, so that's important for us to see. But also the thoughts of the righteous are right. 
You know, some people say, you know, uh, God knows my heart. Yeah, (laughs) that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You remember when uh, the disciples were there, the Last Supper, and Jesus talked about someone's going to betray me, and they're saying, is it I, is it I, is it I, is it I? Just for that moment, there's not a whole lot of moments. They had good moments and good answers. That was a good answer. Because there was, I believe, was sincere questions. Is it me? You know me, Jesus. You know my heart better than I know myself. So you tell me if it's me, because I, I may be that guy. And, and I, I like that honesty. I like that transparency and that humility it's beautiful. So the righteous thoughts, the righteous have right thoughts, not just correct biblical thoughts, but they're right in terms of they line up with what corresponds with how the Spirit's directing our lives. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. You know, David had great psalms about his heart, you know, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Then he would say later on, and he would say, Prove me, you know, examine me, O Lord, improve me, try my mind and my heart. But then he fell. And what if we knew of a pastor who, or a leader like that, that committed adultery, then committed murder to try to cover it up? We would, we would say they have no chance at all for ever being used at all. But God can, it doesn't mean they're going to have the same platform, but God can use us after our failings like he did with David. God used, he called David a man after his own heart. So for us, we have to recognize that, yes, we have these things in our hearts that we like what God's done, but also be on guard because then there's Psalm 51 where he said this, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, because he hadn't been. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I have brought forth I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin, in, in, and in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So that's, that's the confession, you know, that's the, you know, forgive me, help me, I'm finally repenting. Maybe some, there's some here today that you have, you know that you're doing things you shouldn't do and you need to come forward and, not forward, but I mean, you need to come in your heart to the Lord and confess that and, and repent of that and God's giving you warnings because I believe that if that's the case, this isn't the first warning. Maybe it is. So that would be, that'd be great. Then you could just repent and be done. But if there's a long line and you're holding on, you need to repent. God's trying to get your attention and warn you. I just wanted to encourage you with that because it's always speaking to me as well. Verse 6. The words of the wicked are, lie in, wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver 
them. We lie and wait for blood. They do that. We're lying, we're waiting, we're trying to find the opportunity to take advantage of someone. So often, I mean, murder is, is a little bit more enforced, you know, when people commit murder than it was back. And you get away with that a lot easier than you can, and especially in many parts of the world today, than you can in many parts of the world. So it was a lot more common. I mean, this would be very applicable in Chicago, sadly. It's shootings all the time. But it's, you know, in our culture, where we're at right at the moment, it's not like that as much. But there are people committing murder all around us in cities, in this city, in other cities. And, but it, look at, it says at the end of verse 6, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. I love that. He's going to talk a lot about the mouth here and the lips coming up. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. See, that's the true we, God's perspective right there. The wicked are overthrown and are no more. It says present tense there. Did you catch that? The wicked are overthrown. That's, that's how God sees them already. They're already defeated. We're not defeated. We can live like we're defeated sometimes. That doesn't line up with the New Testament at all because we're, we're more than conquerors in Christ. I would love to just be a conqueror, but we're more than that. We have a whole separate category he doesn't even name. We think we're conquering. No, we're more than that. I'm not telling you anything that you obviously haven't heard before mostly for most of you, but it's a reminder for us that we need to walk in his authority and walk in what his word tells us because his word is the final say. Heaven and earth... It's going to pass away, but his words will never pass away. That's why it's the most valuable place for us to get revelation. What God's speaking to you today about? Well, he's speaking in this and all that, but really, you know what? I've been studying Proverbs chapter 12, and it's really studying me more than I'm studying it. That's how it is. When your heart's open, and mine isn't always open like that, but when it's open, Man, does he speak and does he guide us and does he lead us and all that? Hearing stories from the men's retreat and how God spoke to you and how he's working. I mean, there's so much going on. We don't even know everything unless we're talking to everybody thoroughly and getting the whole, the whole picture. But the house of the righteous will stand. Same thing in that house, right? Obeying, not hearing. Don't measure our spiritual maturity. We don't do that by what we agree with. Yeah, because we can listen to teachings, read God's word. Yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. And we're not, we're not actually looking at it like, do I, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? And as I said before, we can listen to sermons for other people. We can be in the whole teaching and the whole thing and be listening for someone else. Oh, that'd be great for them. Yeah, they should be here right now and all this stuff. I've done it too. <laughs> I'm going to take my tongue here. But, uh, you know, the, the, the righteous will stand. I love verse 8, though. A man will be commended according to his wisdom but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised see this whole world doesn't even want to talk about the heart as we'll get to in a moment so we the we will be commended according to our the wisdom that we have which we know is only from god right that's the only wisdom we have i'm a former break dancer Okay, I'm a former ninja. I used to go out at night doing all kinds of things in a ninja suit. Yes, that's true. You can't make this stuff up. I did that. I even one time, uh, I even one time opened, while a guy was teaching the Bible in a church service during the week and in the evening, I opened up with, in a ninja 
You know, I wasn't in industry at that time. But other times I was. It was during the evening. I didn't need it. Okay, so I open up these side doors while they're having the service, and he's teaching, and they all look at me, and we're like, Wah! I'm not kidding you. And the, the pastor looked over at me. I know this is going to happen. I know it's going to all come back on me someday. Please don't have any ideas or tell your children about this. But they ran. They, people, those elders got out. And those, we got chased many times over backyard fences and stuff. But those guys had the Holy Ghost, man. Those guys, those guys had power. They were coming after us. And I'm like, when are these guys going to get tired? You know, I mean, these are older guys that are heavier and all that, kind of like me. And, um, you know, but no, thinner, trust me. And, and. We were just flying over, whatever, and, and we got away, but barely. I'm like, man, what's up with that? We're not doing that again, you know? So foolishness, obviously. Perverse heart, all that. Let's move on. Verse, let's, let's go on. <laughs> verse 9. Better is the one who is slighted but has a servant but than he who honors himself but lacks bread. So we don't have servants in the sense like they had then. A lot of them were hired servants. This, is, this whole context, as we'll see, is about farming. So a lot of times they had hired servants. So don't automatically picture these are slaves. Jews could sell themselves into slavery to pay back debt uh, up to seven years and so forth. Or if it was a jubilee year, they'd be released. So there, there, there's that whole thing. So just try to get past that part of it. But he's He's saying it's okay to be taken advantage of. You know, Jesus talked about loan and don't, don't accept to be paid back. You know, that's, it's all his money. If, you're, if someone's led by the Spirit to, to give to help someone in need, then if, you know, don't expect that to come back to you in that way. God will obviously see that and he will bless us for that. But he who is of a perverse, or I'm, I'm on the wrong verse, then he who honors himself but lacks bread. So we don't want to honor ourselves. We want to let other people bring honor if that's going to happen, but it, mainly from the Lord. And really for us as believers, it's, it's the great, not the great white throne judgment, but the, the I'm trying to find the word, the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat. We're not at the great white throne judgment in, in, in uh, Revelation there. That only unbelievers are there. But there is a thing that happens after the rapture at some, at some point. And I believe it's, I mean, there's a whole other dimension. So the timing of it and all that's kind of futile. But there will be a celebration. There will be, um, you know, we will be receiving honor because there's going to be, it's like an award ceremony, but it's, there's also accountability related to our motivations of why we did what we did. It's not related to our salvation at all. But, it, but it is, it's not a light thing. If you, read that, if you read those passages, you'll see that you're standing before Christ, you're giving an account for your life, and he takes our works and he burns them to see what, like, like metal, to purify what's left over. And only those things that are done in love and spirit-directed and biblical are going to remain. And it says some will escape, so he's not talking about salvation, he said, but as with fire, like, whew. I mean, so there's going to be, I mean, who knows? I'm only speaking to the very small little scrap of revelation that's there related to it. But I just know that it's not supposed to be a thing where it's only reward. It's like the, it's like the Olympics, you know, and you know, the, the national anthem and the flag of heaven is up there and we're like getting medals and all, you know, and there's, there's no facing Jesus and, and giving an account for our life, all those things. And it's supposed to produce a sobriety in each one of us. I'm talking to me too. 
related to our lives and what we're doing because we're stewards not just of our money, of course, but stewards of our time and our gifts, the Holy Spirit's gifts that he's given each one of us. He's given each one at least one spiritual gift, but that's a whole other study. Verse 10, a righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. God cares about creatures. He cares about creatures here. He doesn't want us to be cruel to them. Oh man, those other stories about when I was a kid. You know, domesticated animals are not supposed to be, you're not supposed to play rodeo with them, just for you to know. You're not supposed to reenact rodeos. Um, but so I recovered. I'm saved now. If you're, you know, I'm good with animals. I'm fine. I mean, there's not a lot of pastors that like cats, I found out. And I'm indifferent. I'm, 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 I'm um, in the middle. So I don't love them. I don't hate them. They're, they're there. So, but this is, the context, again, is farming. I want you to see that. Because we've been looking at farming here, and he's talking about the righteous man regards life as animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So the wicked, would, because of their greed, they would mistreat an ox. And when they were farming, and they would work it beyond what it was supposed to be worked, and they were cruel to it to, to get every little last bit of work. And he's saying, don't do that. Now, for us, we, may, we don't have oxes that we're farming with. Even farmers don't have oxes, at least here. In other parts of the world, definitely, they do still use oxes and animals and all of that. But for us, it's like the application, because there's, remember, one interpretation, many applications. So the, the, the issue is for us is, how do we treat people? How do we treat the things that God has entrusted to us? How do we, you know, the things that God has put into our lives and people he's put into our lives related to helping us provide for ourselves and what we're in the middle of, how are we stewarding those things or people in the sense of how we treat them and how we take care of them and all of that? That would be the application. Um, but he's tender mercies, there's no such thing. That's, that's the best they could do with, with being wicked to, to those animals. So Fido, we're not talking about Fido or Fifi, or you're good and all that. So now, notice in verse 11, the idea of farming continues. He says, he who tills the land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. So, and there's one last one here. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. So there's this little thing here. He's talking about farming, um, verse 10, 11, and 12, um, talking about farming in, in that sense of, of just doing what's right, but then he turns it to spiritual things because he's walk, talking about hard work. He's talking about stewardship here. Look at verse 11. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. You know, Paul said, if a man will not work, he will not eat. Paul said that in the New Testament. He didn't say if a man cannot work, he will not eat. He said if he will not work, he will not eat. So he's saying we have to work hard. We have to do our part. This is a result of the curse. They were, they were tending the garden before. So it's not like as if there wasn't responsibilities and they were in hammocks, you know, and just plopping fruit off and, you know, I'd like a kumquat, you know, I'd like a whatever. And just, you know, and all that, and they're not doing anything. They had responsibility. We'll have responsibility in our new bodies in the millennium and beyond. We'll have responsibilities and all of that. There's still stewardship, even in heaven, with our new bodies and everything. So, but 
This farming idea has to do with the, the whole working hard because he's saying you'll be satisfied with bread. A lot of people want satisfaction. They don't want to work hard. There's a strong work ethic. We need to pass that on to our kids and our grandkids and encourage them. And, you know, we think this is basic stuff for many of us, but it's not being taught because so many parents in their culture are AWOL. They're gone. They're not engaged. And, and these kids are being raised by, unfortunately, media and other people that are not good influences, and they don't know about a hard work ethic. They haven't seen that. They've never seen a hard work ethic ever. So we have to lead by example. But he who follows frivolity, frivolous things, is devoid of understanding. And so the wicked covet the catch of evil men, catching them so that they can make money. But the root of the righteous yields fruit. So that's the thing. There have to be that root there that we talked about. Tapped into the root to, to having that. That's why it says that man is planted like a tree by the rivers of water. See, that's where the root system is getting its nutrients from, the water there. And, it's, and it's, that's why it's there in the first place. And that's where we have to be tapped in and, and with our relationship with him and feed that and be fed so that he can bear fruit through us as well. That's the application and they're ensnared by the transgression of his lips, the wicked. He's going to talk about lips here. He's going to talk about a singular lip in a minute, which is interesting. But he's talking about lips. Is They're ensnared. They're caught in a lie. Liars can't remember their lies because it's not reality. So they lose track. And, and interrogators in the law enforcement are so good at this. They're so good. They have this technique down. It's very difficult. I'm not speaking from experience here. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how my, uh, my ninja days ended, but they ended for a reason. Anyway, so um, as a minor, I got saved. Come on now, get past it. It's okay. So, but the, the, the point is they can interrogate the, and, and they can get the truth out of people. And there's wickedness, wicked people and liars, they can't keep track of their lies. And he says they get ensnared by the transgression of their lips. But the righteous will come through trouble. Why? Because we're speaking the truth. We're speaking the truth, and we're honest, and we have integrity and all those things. Verse 14, a man will be satisfied with good from the fruit of his mouth. He's continuing this whole theme. And the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him, or the payment. Recompense means payment. So he's going to get that. So we can encourage our kids, our grandkids. We can say, look, this is what happens. You, You work hard. You do the right thing, both physically and spiritually. Things happen. There's a result. There's a harvest. God talks about harvest related to salvation. He talks about harvest related to financial blessings. He talks about a harvest related to um, getting out there and working in the harvest field for people to come to Christ and all of that. Very important for us to, to see that. Verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. So there's this whole theme of moral relativism in our culture. So that whatever we decide, that's true for us, your truth. And what's the catchphrase is point of view. If you talk to someone that's under 30, 25, or whatever, well, that's your point of view. They like to say that. They're taught that all the way through public school, all the way through, even some private schools, all the way through the college system. Moral relativism. So he, we judge what's right in our own eyes, and, and we look through the scriptures and we see through the judges, let's think of like they did what's right in their own eyes. And then God judged them and disciplined them. They repented. God bailed them out. 
I did it again. This is a cyclical thing that we see all through the Old Testament and the New Testament with failings and things like that and everything. And God is always gracious with us when we repent. But we can't do what's right in our own eyes. That's why we need this word. That's why we need each other to exhort one another. That's why we need God's revelation. So we have to be able to see that. But the thing is, it's not just hearing it and it's not really talking about this is verses used sometimes like you need to seek wise counsel there's other verses for that and that's of course included in this but look at the word heed there the universe 15 but he who heeds counsel is wise we can hear all the counsel we want and not do it we just got finished reviewing what jesus said we can hear it but there's a difference between hearing it and doing it we're not building our house upon the rock unless we're obeying what god says we can, how many of us have agreed with God's word over and over and over again? We agree with it, we know it's true, but then we fall short. Every one of us does that to at some level every day, multiple times a day, every week, every month. We fall short. Christians forget that the standard is still perfection related to sin, even after we become a Christian. So sin is still sin, didn't become less sin. You know, it was 100% really bad, this thing, before I was a Christian and I fell short. But then when I got saved, it's like God lowered it now to 70%. And it's only 70% wrong in that way. No, it's still 100%. The difference is now he's made a way for us to have a relationship with him. And now we have a positional, holy, 100% righteous standing with him positionally so he can have a relationship with us. And then from that point on, when we become a Christian, he starts making us holier and holier and holier as we receive the word on good soil, like he talked about in that parable. We have the right heart, a heart that he can sow in and receive it. It goes deep inside of us. It has a root. And that he talks about that there's no root. The ones that fall away, they have no root in themselves, and they fall away. That's, that's what we have to um, focus on, is letting his word have root. So we have to heed counsel in all its forms. Verse 16, a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. So a fool doesn't have self-control in the sense of how they react to things. Now, one of the fruits of the Spirit, we're told in Galatians, is self-control. So the Holy Spirit can give us self-control anytime we want. We just have to ask. We have to abide in him. We have to rest in him. We have to pray. We have to submit our lives. When we get into a situation, and we need to ask to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Just like we see in the book of Acts. We see it over and over again. They were refilled with the Spirit. He loves free refills. That's not new for the culture. God was into free refills way before uh, uh, anyone else was. You know, that's not original. That's why it's funny. But I want you to know that the end of verse 16, when it says, but a prudent man covers shame what that means is it means in the hebrew it means overlooks he overlooks shame so the things that can set somebody off that isn't for us in the new testament isn't yielded to the spirit and asking you know for the lord to help us be patient and the the fruit of the spirit one of the fruits the spirit's patience and all of that and we can any given time not see that find that within ourselves we need to ask for that and and we overlook and we're gracious with those things because the person that does no grace that doesn't have the capacity to overlook and be gracious is the one that flies off the handle but the one that has grace and has uh, this prudence that God produces in us as we depend upon him, then we see him 
uh, give us the capacity to overlook. You know, the most godly people I know say the least things. And we can misunderstand and think that they're not seeing or noticing or observing things. But they are. They just are asking the Lord to help them with their tongue. And overlooking and being gracious and focusing on the most important thing in the conversation. And that may be the most important thing at times when they need to say something to us. But many times it's not. And we're talking, we're sharing with our faith, sharing our faith, or we're getting to know somebody and all that. We have to focus on the big picture and the big thing that's important for them. And that's the gospel. Verse 17, he who speaks truth declares righteousness. That's true. But a false witness, deceit. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. So we need to speak righteousness we need to speak the truth holiness don't be bullied by the culture and i'm never going to speak up ever about what's right not in a judgmental pharisaical way but in a way where you can be honest and but yet loving but yet you're still saying it we're still bringing it up and you're choosing your times carefully you know all what i mean by all that i hope i know that i'm growing in that and we're all growing in that but but the 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 one who speaks like piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. People hurt people. They lash at people. They say horrible things. But the godly disciple of Jesus Christ says things that promotes health, that speaks life into a situation. Are the smallest things that we can say and the words of encouragement go so far. We're all guilty of not encouraging each other enough. We're all guilty of that, myself included. Being an encouragement, speak truth to people. Look at verse 9, even one lip's involved here. The truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. You know, we're only going to be dealing with deception for a season. All the way up to right after the the thousand-year millennium, and then there's going to be a group that wants to rebel, and Satan's going to be released, they're going to wage war on Jerusalem and they're going to be consumed with fire from heaven that's the last time we're going to hear anything that's deceitful or lying and I can't wait I can't wait to have a new body so that never ever ever has the capacity to come out of my life ever again because it doesn't glorify God verse 20 deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil that's their motivation but counselors of peace have joy that's true He's called us to be counselors of peace. We walk in joy. And the key to doing that well, especially if you have the gift of mercy, the key to doing that well is having a proper understanding in the moment by the Holy Spirit of what your role is and what your role is not by God's word. And be able to be comfortable with that and trusting to the Lord, knowing that it's not, all on, your, it's not on your shoulders at all. It's between them and the Lord. But yet you're going to weep with those who weep. You're going to comfort those that are afflicted. You're going to be, bear their burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. You're going to be patient. You're going to be all those things. But you are still going to be trusting what happens between them and the Lord to them and not own that and carry that. That's the people with the gift of mercy you have to be careful of. because That's why it says they need to be doing it with cheerfulness because it can just wear, the, wear them down. It's important. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Verse 21. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. So God is sovereign, first of all. Everything that happened to Job had to be filtered through the sovereignty of God. So everything that the devil wanted to do and did do, or not wanted to do, but what he was, did do, was allowed through the, through the filter of the sovereignty of God. 
You can read it, and it's the oldest book in terms of date-wise. Many believe in the whole Bible, the book of Job. And read through that book. Eventually, we'll go through it verse by verse. But that's important to know related to evil. Why is there evil in this world? Grave trouble. How will that, is it possible? How will it, it says no grave trouble will overtake the righteous. So how is that possible? You know, Jesus had horrible, no more, no, who's more righteous than Jesus? And trouble from a certain perspective overtook him, although he was victorious, triumphing over his enemies on the cross, we're told in Colossians. But the Apostle Paul had a lot of trouble as well. He was beaten. He was go through that whole list. And the one that he lists in 2 Corinthians, he still, had, he still hadn't even gone in the shipwreck and hasn't even gone to Rome yet. <laughs> Just think about that when you read that list. That's amazing. So one of the things that I like to focus on related to this verse here is the word overtake. Because Psalm 34, verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them. Current, present tense, but the Lord delivers them, him out of them all. So we're not defeated. And this, trouble may happen in that sense from a world's perspective. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world already. Before they even did all that to him, he'd overcome the world. We've already overcome the world. We're already hidden in Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Hello? Anyone with me still? Our citizenship is in heaven. Think about that. If you, you don't have a passport that says heaven on it, but you should, or you could, because our citizenship is in heaven. God has his own way of revealing that to us and encouraging us in that at given moments where we need to hear that. But we, that's our identity is in Christ. We're, we are citizens already. We're, he's already seen us as glorified um, in, in a sense. So it's important for us to see that. So the overtake issue is the issue because we're not overtaken. We're not. Because eventually, because what can man do to us? That's why the disciples were unstoppable. Of course, they were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They, tur- they turned the world upside down. Really, it was right side up, as we know. How did they do that? They're filled with the Spirit. They're full of training from Jesus either in person or after through the Holy Spirit. And they went out and knew that Jesus, if Jesus rose from the dead, what can they do to me? If he conquered death, he can conquer death for me. He's going to give me a new body. I'm unstoppable. Because if you do anything to me, the worst thing that could happen in this world is that I die, and then I just get promoted. And I have a new body. And then I'm in heaven, and I'm away from all this. Paul was torn by the Holy Spirit and said, I desired to help all the churches there in need, but I desired to go to be with Christ, to be able to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. He knew a man, most people believe it was him, who caught up into the third heaven. And he heard inexpressible things that are not worthy to, to be uttered in this life. Doesn't say he saw anything. God could have let him just hear heaven and not see because he didn't say, I saw. He said, I heard. Inexpress- so just the sounds are something he said. It would be unlawful for me to utter. So we, I mean, we're sorry for people who pass away in the sense of what it means to their family. Of course, their family. We, we are obviously heartbroken for them. And, and we're sorry for that person in the sense that they're going to miss them and all of that. But please, let's put it in biblical perspective. It's this person's going to go with Jesus. Out of pain. But even beyond that, out of this world, into the whole another dimension, we don't even know anything about. 
one ant dies when another ant, another ant's watching and they, they feel bad about that ant dying maybe, I don't know, but just think of what we know about ants. It's not even worthy to be compared, Paul talked about, to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. It's beautiful. All right, let's move on. We're almost done here. Verse 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, so he knows how to keep things that are, need to be quiet, quiet, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. None of us can relate to that in the past at all, uh, or even today at times. So we have to know how to... It's, again, he's still talking about the tongue here. You see the theme? He talked about farming. Now he's talking about the tongue and the mouth. And he's also interspersing work still. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. So Jesus has the answer for every need that we have. We go to the doctor when there's something physical. A lot of times there's a biological issue that can be measured, and those things are are real physical things. That have to be addressed. There's also anxiety that just deals with our emotions. And all of those things are subservient and subjected and submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and his lordship. And every good and perfect gift is from above. So we have to recognize he, he knows that we get anxious. I get anxious. I get anxiety. I've been depressed. I know what it's like. Just being transparent with you. Waves of tr- depression in the past. And at times, they're little, you know, we all deal with it, I think, at some level, right? I mean, so we have to just cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. We need to be anxious for nothing. Philippians chapter 3 and 4 goes all through what joy looks like while you're in prison and you bring these things over to, to, the, to the Lord Jesus and live a life that's more than a conqueror. And, and so he says, it, it's, it's fine, it, it has these effects, but a good word makes it glad, Someone's discouraged, we need to come with that word. We're bringing them back to reminding them of God's word. Not just like flippant little verses in the sense of, okay, I'm just going to say this verse and then it's going to fix everything and be insensitive to what they're really going on in their life. I mean, you're never going to waste God's word speaking God's word. Don't get misunderstand. But ask questions. What are you going through? What's going on? Empathize. Talk about what the things that you've gone through that are similar if you have. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that we need to comfort those of the comfort with which we've been comforted. Because we can say, I've been there, I know that. Those of you that have been in the apartment can go to that apartment, our, our apartment that we help with people that are homeless and we bring meals and we help them and all that. You, you've been able to say, I know what it's like to, to be in that apartment because I lived there. And let me tell you what Jesus did for me. That's powerful. Or whatever it else. I've lost a son. I lost a grandparent. You know, my dad died when I was four. My mom died when I was 17. I can talk to people that are going through those things and children in a way that other people can't. It's beautiful. It's wonderful how God works. So thankful for him. So thankful for him. Mm. Verse 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. That's really smart. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. I remember as a new believer... Um, we're coming on 27 years here, coming up. So as a new believer, 90, 91, I realized I could pick, pick my friends. And I was like, I knew that, but I mean, like, I can pick godly friends. Like, I can really pick people 
as my friends that are going to pick me up and make me more godly. And it was a big, as I used to call a heavy revy, heavy revelation. It's a heavy revy for me. Wow. And I picked, I picked wisely by God's grace. I picked people that were more mature than me. And he, man, use that. I can't even tell you how much he used that in my life. Choose your friends very carefully. We need to love everybody. We need to be available to be used by everybody. But our friends, he's going to lead us in a way that is going to be right. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting. Amen. But diligence is man's precious possession. That's a whole nother thing. That's probably a conversation or two later regarding the, the implications of that. But he's saying that he doesn't want to clean the thing that he killed and, 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 and eat it. Well, why did you do it then? If you're hungry, you got to, you know, you, it's not going to, they didn't have drive throughs back then. Man, when drive throughs came out, that was a whole nother level of irresponsibility. But, um, you know, they just had to just do the thing that, that you know, that, to survive. And the lazy man says, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need to, to do that. And he's like, no, you need to have diligence. It's a precious possession. Verse 28, in the way of righteousness of life is life and in its pathway there is no death. 1 Corinthians 15, I want to close with this. Verses 55 through 58. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Are you listening? Therefore, be beloved, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Death doesn't have the final say. For the Christian, I mean, Jesus referred to it as sleep. It doesn't have the final say. Even death is not going to overcome us at all. It doesn't. Jesus is the victory. He's the one that conquered death. You can go to that tomb today, one of the two places, whichever one you want to decide, but it doesn't matter the specific geographical location. The point is that tomb's empty. Buddha is still in his tomb. I don't know what happened to the other people's, you know, bodies or whatever, but Jesus is alive today. He's making intercession for us right now. We need to come boldly to the throne room of grace and, inter- and, in- and-, and get that, express our need in our, in our time of need, ex- get that grace from him. Well, there's a lot of, for the Holy Spirit to work with. Be wise, work hard, guard our tongues, bless with our mouths, and let him work on our progress and related to to godliness. Because what he doesn't want for us is for us to stay where we're at. And he surely doesn't want us to go backwards. He wants us to go forwards. It's his joy to bring us forward. And that's what we want. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you there's nothing like it in this world. We do thank you collectively as a family here. We thank you that your word is the final say. We thank you that it will outlive the heavens and the earth. Lord, help each one of us here to build our lives upon your word like never before. And to not just hear it, but obey it day by day, moment by moment. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the law of the Spirit in our lives. Make us more like Jesus. Make us glorify you, Lord. Help us to glorify you in everything we say, do, and every motivation that we have. You see it all. 
We just ask, Lord, that you would bring glory through, you would receive glory through our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.